Last summer, I preached a sermon series called Tough Questions. And uh, each week we took one question that our, that our culture was asking, and we took that question to the scriptures to see what does God's word have to say about these various questions about God or the Bible or some different aspect of life. The idea was that our church must be ready to give answers to tough questions, uh, the tough questions of our age, and that our young people need to hear their church addressing the questions, because being silent on the tough questions might seem like a safe approach, but it actually has devastating consequences. This summer, in a similar way, I'd like to take a different uh, topic each week. Now, rather than a question like we did last summer, I'd like to consider a specific belief that is part of the Christian faith. And uh, by taking a look at a particular uh, subject uh, to see not only what does the, the Christian faith teach about this subject, but, but what does it mean from an everyday standpoint? How do we connect that truth to everyday life? And so it will be, uh, in many ways, a, a practical series, but it will, it will also be looking at, at really the doctrines, uh, some of them anyway, of the Christian faith. And so we'll be asking, how does this particular belief shape the way I think? How does this particular belief influence the way that I, that I seek to live my life? Now, for example, next week we'll be looking at, at what we say is our belief, the Christian belief in the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? And from that, we'll then ask, well, because we believe such and such about the Bible, this is how it should impact me on a daily basis. This is how it should transform the way I think. It should transform the way that I live. Rather than having a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we live, we want to see how they come together. And so we'll be looking at a variety of, of topics. What do we believe about God? What do we believe about the holiness of God? And, and how does that connect in to the way in which we are called to live? We'll also look at some other subjects about, uh, about creation or the nature of sin. And uh, we know that our, that our faith in, in, uh, in the Lord informs us on each of these topics. But how do they connect to everyday life? You see, belief isn't just meant to be an intellectual assent. The beliefs of our faith are meant to completely change us. The Bible says we're to be transformed by the truth. And so the title of the series is this, I Believe Applying Truth to Everyday Life. And I, I got the idea for this series in a book that I was reading by Paul Tripp called Do You Believe? And he takes somewhat of a similar approach by, by looking at various beliefs of the Christian faith and then asking how, how can we live these beliefs out? How can we connect the dots between what we believe and how we live. Now, Paul Tripp has written many books. Many of them uh, focus on marriage and parenting, or maybe you've seen some of his work in the field of, of biblical counseling. Uh, but again, this, this book uh, is his attempt at showing how beliefs are lived out every day. And so, so I'll be quoting from him some today, and in the, in the coming weeks, there'll also be some other resources. Kind of like last summer, I had different, different resources to, to offer along the way, but I would submit this one to you as the main one that I, that I uh, that I'm starting with. 
And, uh, and hopefully, if, if that's something that you'd be interested in, you could, you could pick up a copy as well. For today, I want us to think about the gap that exists between what we believe and how we live. And so the, what I mean by that gap is, if you look at the, at the, uh, at the diagram, you can see that there is this, this area of belief. This is what we believe thinking of the Christian faith, the doctrines of our faith, the beliefs that we, that we hold to, that which we would profess. That's what we believe. But then we look at the other area, and that is, that is how I live. And we have this constant journey in wanting to match up or to connect or to grow closer in what we are living to what we say we believe. And so what I mean by the gap is that space in between. And we can remember back when we, when we first became a follower of Christ and we, we see this gap that's there and we realize that there are areas that, that our lives need to, need to change. There's things that we, that we need to change based upon the, uh, uh, the belief that we have in Christ and in his gospel. You could look at, at one section, the what I believe, and you could really see that as, as confessional theology, the confession of one's faith. And you could look at the other side and say, well, this is the functional theology. This is, this is how I put it into practice. And the goal, again, is to bring that closer together, day by day, year by year. As we grow in Christ, we should grow increasingly closer to these beliefs. And so I, I hope and I pray that as we walk through this series, it will help us narrow the gap that there may be some truth that we, by, by thinking deeply about it and seeing how it has a practical impact upon the way that our minds and our lives are shaped, that we will see that happening. We'll see that gap narrow. As we grow in the Christian faith, our lives are to indeed reflect our beliefs. For example, Paul Tripp in his book says it this way, angry people become peacemakers. Greedy people become givers. Demanding people become servants. Lustful people become pure. Faithless people become believers. Proud people become humble. Rebels become obedient people. And idolaters become worshipers of God. So as I read that, that, that description, you may find yourself in some of those words, either looking back and seeing how God has continued to shape you, or there may be some areas in which God is still at work in your life. You see, our beliefs about God change the way we live. And of course, this is the Holy Spirit, right, doing that work. He's uh, bringing us closer to what we live each day. And if you look at that chart, you could think that, that a narrowing gap would be indicating something, wouldn't it? The more that that gap narrows, it's indicating that there is growth. There is spiritual growth. There is consistency in what I say I believe and how I live. But what would we say if we saw a gap expanding? We, we, might, we might use words like hypocrisy, right? They say they believe this, but really this is how they live. That gap is ever widening. Or it could be apostasy right? That, that at one point someone claimed these things, and, and, but yet with their life, the way in which they're living is, is inconsistent. And so, so we, we, we realize that that gap could be viewed from, from several different perspectives. But what I offer to you 
is a challenge. Challenge for us to think about our own gaps, to think where are those areas in which we need to grow, in which the Lord is working in our lives. In fact, Paul Tripp says it this way, biblical doctrine is meant to transform your identity, alter your relationships, and reshape your finances. It's meant to change the way you think and talk, how you approach your job, how you conduct yourself in time of leisure, how you act in your marriage, and the things you do as a parent. It's meant to change the way you think about your past, interpret the present, and view the future. So we look at something like that and realize maybe maybe doctrine isn't such a stuffy word after all, right? Maybe as we think about what we believe, it really does impact everything that we do. In fact, you could make the argument that whether someone is is thinking about the Christian beliefs or any other set of beliefs, that what a person holds to as their beliefs really does guide and impact the way in which they will live. Again, whether it's in the Christian belief system, which we're thinking about, or any other system that is out there, you will see that to be the case Paul Tripp says, the truths you actually believe are the truths that you live because faith is never just intellectual. So if what we believe is not transforming our daily lives, this means that this gap needs to be addressed. Now, that really is what spiritual growth is all about because do we have gaps? You bet we do. Will we always have gaps? We will. This side of eternity, we will always be growing in Christ-likeness. Every single day, until we take that last breath and we are in eternity, we will be growing into Christ. We will learn more about him. Each day we are to to understand the principles and the precepts of of God's word and, uh, and, and, and those principles are to be reflected in the growth or the maturity that happens in the way we think, the decisions that we make, even the priorities that we have are all shaped by our belief. If the, the gap in the, is, is the space in between what we believe and how we live, how well do we see gaps in ourselves? Now, it would have been an easier question just to say, how well do we see gaps, right? But that's not really the question. The question is, how well do we see the gaps in ourselves? How well do I see the gaps in my life? How well do you see those in yours? Paul Tripp says this, some of us don't see the gaps in our lives. Some of us confess and repent when we see the gaps. And some of us have learned, listen to what he says, to live with the gaps for so long that they don't bother us anymore. That sounds like a dangerous place to live, doesn't it? So this summer, we are considering beliefs for the purpose of aligning our lives under the truth of God's word. This series is meant to emphasize spiritual growth. And that, I believe, is something which must continually be prioritized in the church, in our church. In the book, What is a Healthy Church Member?, the BD Anyabwile says this. He says, a healthy church member is a growing church member. It is impossible to separate the health of a local church 
from the health of its members. And it's impossible to divide the well-being of a church member from his or her spiritual growth and discipleship. So just think about that. The health of our church is dependent upon the spiritual growth of our church members. They're connected. So the emphasis upon spiritual growth is indeed vital for all of us. And that is my prayer for this sermon series. Again, I I hesitate to call it a a doctrinal series because just as soon as I say that word, I know it just seems like some type of a pursuit to gain more information. But I, I think as we go through, we will see that again, doctrine is exceptionally practical as each one of us will live out what we truly believe. That's why we need to spend time thinking deeply about the beliefs of the Christian faith and then see what the proper responses are. In other words, working to close the gaps. So the first point this morning is this. There is an expectation of spiritual growth. We'll look at a few verses here on the expectation of spiritual growth. Then we'll, uh, we'll look uh, next at some, some obstacles to spiritual growth. And then we'll look at the pattern for spiritual growth. So the first one is the expectation. The author of Hebrews says it this way, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. So there's this idea that that those in Christ are, are meant to be growing in their faith, maturing. Yes, receiving those initial doctrines, that initial understanding of of who Christ is and what he has done, but building upon that from the word, our knowledge of him. Paul also had a similar thought in Philippians chapter three. He said, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect or already complete, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So even the, the apostle Paul understood that, that, that he needed to grow continually. He had not arrived. He had not yet made it. And Peter said something similar. He said in 2 Peter chapter 3, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. A call to grow, to grow in grace, yes, but to also grow in knowledge and to see how those are connected together. So there is a clear call here, a clear expectation that followers of Christ are to grow, grow in our knowledge of the truth and to grow in our application of that truth. Years ago, I read a story about the wife of Billy Graham, uh, the late Ruth Bell Graham. And uh, the account that I read said that she was on a road trip with one of her daughters. And as they were uh, on a highway, they were going through an area that had uh, a lengthy amount of construction. And, and when they finally got to the, to the end of the construction, uh, there was a sign that really caught her attention. It said this, end of construction, Thank you for your patience. 
And so it was just a, a way for the, the Department of Transportation to thank the drivers for being patient as they endured this, this long uh, stretch of construction. And that, 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 that sign that was meant to show, show gratitude to the drivers uh, really did, did impact her. And she, she looked at the sign and then she turned over to her daughter and she said, when I die, I want that saying on my tombstone. And her daughter remembered that. And you can see at the bottom of her tombstone, what does it say? It says, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. And you know, that's where we all live, right? In construction. We're all under construction. We all have those gaps that, 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 that the Holy Spirit is, is closing and that we are seeking to, to, uh, to, to work with him to respond to the Spirit's work in our lives. There, there is His work. There's also our responsibility, right? To be able to cooperate with that work in our lives. Yet even though we see that we are called to grow, we know that there can be obstacles that stifle growth. And in fact, if you look over at Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see that there are three obstacles in Ephesians 4 verse 14. Three, just in this one verse. Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. This is a section of scripture that's talking about, about uh, God's people being equipped, the equipping of the saints, and uh, this idea of being made ready. And uh, as you work through that section, it goes on to say that, that when that is happen, happening, when we are growing, when that faith is growing into to maturity, it says in verse 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. So right there, you can see that there are three obstacles. The first one is immaturity. He is referencing in verse 14 this idea that we are no longer little children. He's using the, the chronological age of, of a child growing into adulthood as a, as a metaphor for the pattern of Christian growth, that as we come to faith in Christ, we are babies in Christ, babes in Christ, as some verses speak of. But the expectation is that we don't stay there, but that we continue to grow into maturity. It's not natural for us to think as adults like we thought when we were little children, right? I mean, how many of us would like to, to strap on that seven-year-old brain once again, right? And try to make the decisions for the day or for, or for the year with that uh, at, at the helm. Of, of course we wouldn't. We, we understand that God intends for us to mature and to grow uh, as uh, in, in our humanity, but also from a Christian standpoint in our faith. This year, we are celebrating uh, the graduation of our son, Nate. He uh, somehow is now 18 years old. I, I don't know how that happened. It just seemed like, uh, seemed like he was just uh, seven years old, right? Well, I, I can remember a time when he was about seven years old that... that uh, that we, uh, I, I was going to be taking him to uh, to taekwondo, 
And uh, we were living uh, outside of Athens, Greece, and he was really involved in, in martial arts nearby. And so we were all, all the time going back and forth. And so, so I, we were jumping in the car, and I got behind the wheel, and I looked over, and he was sitting in the front passenger seat. And I was like, okay, come on. You, you know you're too small to ride in the front passenger seat. He's like, no, Dad, it, it'll be okay. We're not going very far. I was like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. You need to get to the back. I said, it's, it's too dangerous for you to ride in the front seat. And he said, well, why? Why is it so dangerous? I said, because there's an airbag right here. And I said, as short as you are, if that airbag deploys, it could, it's going to hit you right in the face and could really hurt you. He looked up at me and said, Dad, I'll just duck. <laughs> I said, I, I appreciate your confidence. Get in the back seat, right? <laughs> He's now a young man. He's not needing to worry about ducking behind airbags, right? He's uh, managing his own vehicle. Immaturity is expected in little children. In fact, it can even make us chuckle. But it isn't cute when we see a grown adult that is immature, is it? It's not quite, quite as funny. Well, that's the immaturity piece that he that uh, Paul is writing about here in Ephesians 4. Next is instability. Look back at verse 14. Paul describes the unstable as those tossed by the waves and blown by the wind. And he connects this to teaching. And he says that it's like teaching is this wind. And if, if you aren't firmly rooted and grounded, what can happen? You can hear some teaching and all of a sudden you can be blown from position to position, from place to place, from thought to thought, from idea to idea. And it's, it's necessary for one to have stability, not instability. Otherwise, we get tossed around. The picture here is like waves that are just pounding and pushing and moving one that is not firmly anchored. And the Christian faith is meant to be an anchor because let's face it, we live like every other generation has lived in times that change, changing ideologies, changing thoughts, changing mores and values. And we have seen uh, an incredibly uh, hectic pace of change, haven't we? Just in the last few years. Well, what if you don't have that stability of the Christian faith, you can, be, you can be pulled into other ways of thinking and other ways of living. But not just instability and immaturity, there's also gullibility. If you look at what Paul says, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. It's basically saying that, that those who promote these ideas can be very crafty. They can be very cunning. They can use approaches and they can use uh, 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 words to, to, to really sound appealing. And that's, again, where we need these beliefs, the Christian beliefs, to be that anchor for us, to be that, that filter, to be that standard upon which everything else that's being taught is compared. And I mean everything. Everything that we hear, we've got to look at it in light of what God's word says. And if we don't know, if we don't know specifically what it says, that's where we, we make the exercise of getting into the word and finding, are there principles? Are there precepts? Is, are, are there words of wisdom 
from the Bible that can help us understand these things that we're hearing so that we are not tricked. No one likes to be tricked, right? You don't want to wake up someday and realize that, that, that someone has hoodwinked you in anything, but particularly when we think about ideas and about belief systems. So we see that spiritual growth is indeed expected, but it can be difficult because there are obstacles. But let's, let's read the next verse there in Ephesians 4. <clears throat> Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. That's the goal. That is our goal, your goal and mine, to grow in every way under Christ, Christ-likeness. The image, as it says in Romans 8, to be conformed into the image of, of his son. This is the, the grand goal of Christian discipleship, is to grow in Christ. And this, of course, comes from his truth. Let's turn next over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this may be a, a verse that, that, would, that would apply for, for next week as well as we look at, at the doctrine of the Bible. Uh, but I think it really helps lay out what pattern we're looking at for the summer what we're looking at for this series. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And notice the four things that follow. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So there, there is an effect here on what God's word can and will do. These four things. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so a very similar theme to what we saw over in Ephesians chapter four, the idea of being equipped, the idea of, of spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness being the goal, that there is effort that is to be given, but also attention given to the, to the word of God. And so with that, let's look at our third point this morning, and that is a pattern for spiritual growth. We'll go through these quickly, but you noted, I'm sure as we read verse 16, the four aspects of how the scripture is profitable. The first one is for teaching, and that, that means that we, we are called to learn the truth. When we talk about what are the, the beliefs of the Christian faith, what are the essential beliefs, we are to know them. We are to be equipped by them. We are to understand uh, what they are because of our time in the word. Scripture teaches us about God. It teaches us about ourselves. It is the truth, the ultimate standard upon which we can build our lives. Now, again, as I said early, earlier in the message, um, we, we must realize that everyone has a standard by which they live. An unbeliever has a standard by which they interpret the world. They have a standard upon which, they, uh, which, which leads them to the decisions that they make or the things that they think about. They have a standard. Every person does. The question is, what is the standard? And where does the standard originate from? Those are the questions. Who developed it? 
For followers of Christ, we are to build our lives upon the truth of God's word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. God's word is the standard. God's word is the absolute unchanging truth that is applicable for all generations. It is a timeless truth. It's our North Star. It is our compass. It is the standard by which everything else is measured. And we are called to learn it. It says it's to be taught. And if the word of God is to be taught, we are to learn. Secondly, we see that God's word also rebukes. And this tells us that we have missed the mark. We compare ourselves to the ultimate standard, to the truth, and we find that we are lacking, that we are all sinners, that we have all missed the mark. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Many different ways you can communicate that, but it's like the archer who doesn't hit the target. A rebuke is a warning that we aren't where we need to be. And you talk about a word that I'm sure our culture despises. Think about the word rebuke (laughs) because it infers that there is a standard of what is right. Otherwise, you can't be rebuked, can you? And we, we certainly live in a day that just pushes against that with all its might. Our culture bristles at the idea of being rebuked. But think about this, that a loving heavenly father cares enough about us to be able to tell us when we're on the wrong path. Isn't that gracious? A gracious warning so that we have an opportunity to make course corrections so that we can come in line with what it is that we're being taught. So that's where the teaching and the rebuking, they connect. We need to know when we're headed in the wrong direction. But there's a third aspect and that is correcting. And for the sake of this message, I'm calling it, we close the gap because that's those corrections that we make as we respond to what we're being taught from God's word, as it rebukes us from where we're at, we want to close that gap in whatever area that is in. Once I understand where I am in comparison to where God wants me to be, I'm called to make adjustments. Now, Let me just say this, the truth doesn't adjust. I don't know if you noticed in that opening graphic, the truth was like stable. It wasn't like moving. It was our lives that were to move to close the gap. The truth doesn't change. It it doesn't adjust to us. We adjust to the truth. We are taught the truth, and when we learn it, when we understand that we fall short in areas, we are to make adjustments to live in light of the truth. Some would call this sanctification. It's another word, really, for spiritual growth that we're called to grow. Paul Tripp says, progressive sanctification, which is God's redeeming work in us between our conversion and our homegoing, is a continual process of comparison, correction. Comparison, correction, driven by the truths of his word and empowered by the work of his spirit. Now, we're going to spend a whole week thinking about this belief in sanctification and what that means from a positional standpoint versus a progressive standpoint. 
but that's for later in the summer. But the idea is that, that this is what Christian growth is all about. And it leads us to the final aspect, and that is training, that we are to live the truth. How can my thoughts, how can my desires, my actions reflect the truths of God's word? Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it is training in righteousness. So just think about a team or an athlete that is on a team that is training. They are, they are repeating, aren't they? Certain drills, certain aspects of, of the, the discipline, doing it on a regular, consistent basis for training. And in our case, we, we see that metaphor in speaking of training in righteousness, living like Christ, living in obedience. Now, we know it's not perfection. We still carry humanity with us. We understand on this side of eternity, it's not perfection. It is, though, progression. We should see progress. We should see maturity as we move forward. That's the pattern for spiritual growth. We learn the truth we compare ourselves to the standard of truth to see where we need to grow. After we do that, we make changes as we seek to live in obedience, to faithfully live what we believe. And what is the result? Spiritual growth and joyful obedience. This is something that is encouraging as we see that we are being equipped. In fact, that's what we read in verse 17. After reading about these four uh, uh, aspects of, of God's wor word working among us, it says that we may be complete equipped for every good work. Equipped, again, means to be made ready. And if you've ever found yourself saying, I'm not equipped to handle such and such, we go back to the word and see that, that God's desire is to equip us. He doesn't want to leave us stranded. He wants us to grow so that we are equipped for what we see in this life. That's part of God's plan and his design. And so that's the goal of this summer series. This was just an introductory message, but week by week, we're going to look at a specific truth in God's word. We're going to see how that truth is called to transform us more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior. There will be very foundational truths, many that, that, that are, you're very familiar with already, but we'll focus on them. And we won't be content just to understand these truths on the intellectual level. Well, as I close, let me tell you about some interesting sculptures that I heard about a few years ago that reminds me of spiritual growth. They're a collection of unfinished sculptures by Michelangelo. Maybe you've seen pictures of some of these. They, they are housed in a, a few different museums in Italy. If you look at the, uh, the screen, the one there on the left is an unfinished atlas. You can almost see atlas kind of emerging out of this, uh, out of this stone. And uh, the one on the right with uh, the, the faces that weren't even quite, quite finished yet, uh, I, I, I couldn't find a name for that one. But it's, it's evident that in either case, the works weren't completed by the sculptor. Michelangelo was not yet finished with these works. And nearly everyone who sees these statues can look at it and say, well, I see the turmoil. I see the struggle. 
that's really embodied in these figures. It's as if they are crying to break free from the prison of the marble to become what they were intended to be. And as you look at the sculptures, I think we can be reminded of Christ at work in us. He's shaping us. He's chiseling us. He's forming you and me to be what he has in mind. One author stated about these uh, 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 statues, he said, when I looked at those partial figures, they stirred up in me a deep longing to be completed, an ache to be set free from that which distorts and disguises, imprisons and inhibits. It's my wholeness that I desire. But listen to what he said. But as with those statues, I cannot liberate myself. For that, I need the hand of another. And that's the Christian discipleship, needing God's truth, needing God's spirit at work and helping to apply these truths to our lives. And in doing so, helping us be faithful to live what we believe, to close that gap, to grow us more into Christ-likeness. That's the goal. And that's my prayer as we embark upon the summer series. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us as a means for equipping, as a means for giving us understanding about, about who you are, who we are, and the beauty of that gospel message that says through your son that we can be reborn, that we can be given brand new life. And so Father, we thank you for that day and we thank you for the days that follow being born again. We pray that, that each of us, as we encounter your truth day by day, will see the ways in which you are applying it, the way you're using it to equip us, to help us in our, in our spiritual growth. Father, we pray this for ourselves. We, we pray this for one another, for, for we desire to be a church that glorifies you that honors your word, that has a teachable spirit, that is discerning. Lord, we know that we live in a day that's challenging, and yet you have placed us in a position to represent you, to be light in this world. And I pray that that light will emanate as we seek to be closer to you each day. Father, we pray that if there are any among us today that have not yet trusted in you, that this could be a day of salvation, that first step, that first step of discipleship by following you. So Lord, would you take your word today? Would you be glorified as you apply it to our lives? For we pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said.